Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode five of the Masterclass. Yeah. Dave, we broke a milestone. What, what is our milestone? Well, our milestone was we had four episodes, and now we, so have, now five, we have five, so we broke it. Uh, it's, we're just going to, you know, declare milestones. I'm all for that. Yeah, that, uh, you know, it's fun. It makes, makes, you know, each new episode exciting and new and full of adventure. <laughs> It's one and better. I read Wild at Heart as a young kid, so I clearly am in tune with adventure. <laughs> Quick story before we start. All right. Um, and uh, fair warning, if you were a fan of Wild at Heart, you're probably not going to like this story, just to let you know. Uh, in college, uh, I was a PA, uh, also more commonly referred to as an RA in a dorm. I was kind of in charge of my uh, wing, so I had like 30 guys in like 15 rooms that we were kind of grouped together. And so uh, there were one, two, three, six, ten PAs in our dorm, plus a hall director, an assistant hall director, 12 guys in charge. So at the end of the year, we had a softball game. Everyone had gone home after finals, and we were just doing the final sweep of the dorm, so we were all there an extra two days or whatever, so we decided to have a softball game. And uh, this being the early 2000s, and us all being kids that grew up in church, we were uh, we split down the middle, and one team was Team Wild at Heart, and one team was Team Captivated, which was the female version of Wild at Heart. And uh, lo and behold, my team, Team Wild at Heart, destroyed Team Captive. Captivated, that's what it was. Um, but you know, just a little stupid Christian sarcastic humor <laughs> tied up in a really, really awful six on six softball game. <laughs> six on six. <laughs> yeah, we had like three infielders and two outfielders and a pitcher. No one did, like the batting team had to catch, catch for the it was terrible. But when you go to school in the middle of nowhere and there's no one else on campus. <laughs> You've got to make do with what you got. Absolutely. I did not anticipate telling that story. Sorry. <clears throat> Anyways, how are you, Dave? I'm doing all right. Doing good. Glad to be here with you and looking forward to what we uh, are going to encounter tonight. Yeah, there is some interesting uh, interesting stuff, I think, that we're going to uh, run into throughout the evening. Um but before we get into today's main topic, and even before we get into some follow-up, uh, I've been reading through um, this Lent reading plan um, that, that Uversion has, and um, I'm using Uversion for the first time in two years, because the last time I used it, it killed my iPhone. Yes, they've, yeah. they've done a good job of updating that to so where you can actually use the app. <laughs> well, it, it, and I blame you version on my iPhone dying. I, I have no empirical <laughs> proof other than it, I was using the app in church and then my iPhone just died a very slow and agonizing death. So I blame them. But anyhow, uh, so the Lent reading plan is written by N.T. Wright, um, who, while I do not agree with on every... Uh, point of, of his theology, I think he is a very important figure in um, the theological landscape that's going on right now, and I respect him greatly. He says this, uh, when a couple get married, there is so much to learn. Uh, not so much the immediate and obvious things, favorite foods, musical tastes, good ideas for holidays, and so on. There are deeper things that make, that make each one of us mysterious and deeply special. 
The rich store of memories and mental associations, the older family history, stories told and retold, sorrows quietly aching in the background, tales of an exotic cousin here or a tragic uncle there, an aunt who wrote books or a great-grandfather who was cheated in business. Such stories shape our imaginations. They condition our reactions to new situations. When you join someone else's family, it takes time to learn how all this works for them. Often you can only make sense of what someone says or does up front if you get in touch with the older, deeper stories that shape them from their earliest days. And he shares this in the devotional content um, at the beginning of, uh, for the reading at the beginning of Matthew when we are introduced to the genealogy of Jesus. Um, and so one of the points that Wright is making is that perhaps one of the reasons why Matthew shares Jesus' genealogy, among many other important ones, is to help bring to mind to the reader all of the stories that accompany people such as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Boaz, Rahab, Ruth, Obed, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Hezekiah, and so on. All of these great people or great stories and characters from the Old Testament. And Wright's point is that in order maybe to understand who Jesus is, and against the backdrop that his actions and words are um, lived out, we have to know the story of God and his people, and that being the Old Testament. There's this incredibly rich and deep and satisfying well of history about God and about us as, as mankind. And so when we become part of God's family, we all of a sudden are introduced to this rich backdrop and, and history of crazy uncles and <laughs> crazy escape stories and uh, unlikely heroes and um, unflinching grace in the midst of blatant disregard for what is good and what is right. And we, we get this, this rich history of this family that has gone through so much over hundreds, if not thousands of years. And so when we get to Jesus as God's representative on the planet, if we have a familiarity and a deep understanding even of what God has done in the Old Testament, when we hear Jesus say things like, you've heard it said this, and he quotes the Old Testament, but I say to you something new, um, those are moments when we can grasp the authority with which Jesus is speaking. Because we know what God has said, and we know what God meant, and we know what the Israelites did or did not do in light of that saying. Because we know the stories of the people, and we know that Jesus comes directly from these people and from God. He's speaking, he's in a unique position in all of history to speak those words, but I say to you this. Um... And so I just thought that was a very unique perspective on why Matthew might be sharing the genealogy of Jesus. That was my iPad. We're just going to ignore that. <laughs> but we're going to be in Matthew for a really, 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 really long time on this podcast. Um, we may never actually get out of it. That's <laughs> quite possible. But... We want to encourage you to spend time in the Old Testament um, as often as possible so that you can gain a better understanding 
for who God is and what God is about and who his people are and why he has even made a people to be his and the lengths that he has gone to keep that people. You can see all the ways that he was active and working uh, you know, in his people all through the first you know, five books and up and out of Egypt into the new land, what he's said and done through the prophets, the wisdom literature, and how he is is present and active in in the lives of his people um and so i just i was really encouraged it's just it's very rare for me nowadays to hear somebody champion the history of what god has done you know you don't really you know i say that and right now you know at church we're gonna spend like the next 18 months going (laughs) through the life of moses oh really which is like that Ty said that, and I went, is he trying to lose everybody in the church? Like, we don't talk about the Old Testament in church anymore. And and so I got really excited about that. And so to hear that at church and then to hear this um, from a leading New Testament scholar um, is just really super uh, exciting to me that the Old Testament um, still can be relevant and impactful and um, edifying to people that are post-Jesus. So that was a really long intro. Um, but I just found that very interesting and um, exciting. Yeah, and, I, you know, I think the other thing about that is, is you know, his genealogy. There's, there's very, I mean, that human element of who Jesus was. And it's, it's not a, you know, like you said, it's interesting. It's not sterile. Uh, there's, um, I, I think in some ways, if, if we were to make a, uh, a true movie about what Jesus' genealogy was, it'd probably be rated R. Oh, NC-17. <laughs> NC-17. <laughs> Gonna uncover your feet in the threshing floor? Come on, Dave, we know what that is. So, yeah, and, um, it, it just... I, I, the word that comes to my mind is I, I just think it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing his genealogy is a beautiful thing because it just um, there's got to be somebody in that genealogy if you read that that you're going to be able to relate to mm, yeah. and, it, and it just makes you go okay if that is who uh, Jesus came from if that's who his family is if that's who his relatives are uh, it just it, it, it helps you kind of go um an element of, of, of feeling like you belong, a feeling of just uh, what the human condition is really all about. And as you mentioned, uh, God's grace and uh, who he is and what he brings to our story and to his story. Um, it's just so awesome. So, yeah, it's um, I, I really do. I think gene- genealogy, genealogy is a beautiful thing. And uh, folks should take some time to... Um, get to know who some of these people are because uh, their stories are absolutely fascinating and um, really do glorify God in our brokenness and uh, sinful nature. So, yeah, there's, there's, I'm just looking over that list of names again, and there's just so many good stories and so many screw ups that have been redeemed and. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Yeah. All right, so that's 
that's that. Uh, next up on the docket, just a small bit of follow-up. <clears throat> I started reading The Divine Conspiracy Continued, which uh, was written, co-authored by Dallas Willard and Gary Black Jr. Um, started before Dallas passed away and finished after uh, afterwards by Gary. Um, and there's a quote that I want to read in response to, or more in support of, um, a few comments that Dave has made over the past couple episodes um, that Christianity is a thinking faith and we are called to be engaged intellectually um, with why we believe what we believe, why we believe what we believe, what scripture says, how it impacts our lives, and that we need to be fully um, engaged in that. And so the quote is a concluding thought um, after Willard and Black bring up some of the big questions of life. Why are we here? What is my purpose? What does it mean to be good? Those sorts of overarching questions that everybody has to work through at some point in their life. Uh, and they say this, Therefore Christians in all the areas and disciplines that comprise our society who are intimately acquainted with the Good Shepherd and his ways must be prepared to offer more than a memorized set of beliefs in reply. There must be a robust competency and willingness to examine and then demonstrate, model, and thus prove how and why Jesus' answers to these questions are both good and best. So they're saying that a simple rote response to why am I here is not good enough. That in order to give a reply that is going to uh, capture the heart of a non-believer, we have to have a robust competency and a willingness to examine, demonstrate, model, and then prove how and why Jesus' answers to these questions are both good and best. And that, I don't know about you, that seems <laughs> like a lot of work. <laughs> but but necessary work, you know? Yes. Other than, well, the Bible says so. Yes. The Bible says what? Where, why, and why should I believe it? Like... Yeah, and, you know, I think it, 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 it goes back to um, being in a relationship because relationships are not, you know, you, you, we had just talked about uh, the genealogy kind of being being compared to a marriage and, and uh, everything that we bring to a marriage and learning about this person. And, uh, I don't, uh, you know, I, if somebody were to ask me, uh, to define my marriage, I wouldn't sit down and define it by a set of beliefs. You know, I wouldn't say, well, we gave each other rings 20 some years ago and, you know, I pledged my faith to her and she pledged her faith to me and we've managed to maintain that over the years. And, uh, oh yeah, and by the way, couple times along the way there we created our own kids and then uh, we adopted one and you know it's hopefully if you're in a in a uh, thriving marriage a vibrant marriage a marriage that is uh, alive um, then that that relationship you're going to talk about uh, you're going to talk about things like how you love that person and why you love that person. And uh, I, you know, very blessed to have the wonderful wife that I have. And, you know, one of the things that just 
stands out to me is that uh, you know she loves me unconditionally, and she she supports me, and um, I don't. You know the other thing is is I don't feel like I have to to fake who I am with her. You know she she sees every <laughs> you know, and it's and I I I think um, we. Um, well, I always want to throw we out there, and I want to lump us in with Christians. I'll just I'll I'll, I'll do what I I always say I want to do, and that's speak from from me and my experience. And um, I'm not always very good about uh, sharing my uh, relationship with Jesus that way. And um, I think that's that's what it's all about. Is if your life is over and you're before God and I don't know what it's going to be like, uh, but I, I, I do think that um, there's an element of being able to articulate that relationship of, I understood what it was to, to, to experience grace. I understand what it, what it means uh, to be forgiven. And then, I think from there, it's um, an element of what we talked about last week with... Um, you know, loving God and enjoying Him forever. And then I even think, um, going back to, we should use our brain in our in our faith of, we, well, I compartmentalize my life. I want to have work be one thing, and I want to have my faith be another, and you know, faith can overflow into family a little bit more than it does in work. Mm-hmm. And I, I truly, I, I, one of the things I keep coming back to and really kind of want to be able to um, embrace is this idea of Jesus is probably the smartest person ever that ever lived. He's one of the most capable uh, people that ever lived. And if I, if I were to take that into my, um, my job, my career then um, he knows how to handle the things that, that I'm dealing with better than I could ever handle that. So, um, yeah, it's it's just this, this interesting sort of, I think attention is a word I've thrown out a lot, of just, on one hand, it's very, very simple, and then on the other hand, it's very complicated and not so simple. So, uh, I don't know if that answers or kind of... Well, I, I want to jump back to something, um, a thought that I had about midway through your response. Is that it, it's almost safer to go the, well, the Bible says this, and mm. like the very yes. like rote response. It's almost like, I'm going to give an answer that is adequate, but that also kind of puts a buffer between you and how I really feel. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's almost like a, a defense mechanism like oh i don't want this person to tell me that i'm stupid for believing this i don't want them to attack what is really important to me so i'm going to give you an answer that is going to be just enough for you to go okay they went to sunday school you know but and so it almost seems to me like my my initial response is like man because rejection sucks yes or being told that you're stupid is not fun you know, it, or just having someone, you know, oh, well, Christians are, are hypocrites and, and bring up all of the true but bad stuff about what Christians have done in the past. It's just sometimes it's just easier to say, here's a track. 
you know, <laughs> or whatever, you know, the case may be. I think it, it takes some courage and some serious trust in God to say, okay, you want to know why I believe this? Here's not only what the Bible says, here is why I believe what it says, here is my experience in life, and here is what I have come to know to be true and not true about my existence. Because mm-hmm. then you're just like, come on in, man. Welcome to like <laughs> my deepest thoughts and yes. just trying to break anything. You know, like it's it's a very uh, vulnerable state to be in, especially with um, a stranger. If you're, you know, you're just, you know, uh, commuting on the bus or you're talking with a new coworker or someone at a party that you got invited to and they ask you what you do, you know, you're like, oh, well, I volunteer at this church or I'm a pastor or I, you know, play guitar in the band or, you know, I lead a wana or whatever. If that comes up and it's a stranger, like, oh, you're a Christian. Tell me why. I don't want to let some stranger in like, you know? And so that was just kind of one of the thoughts I had while you were, while you were mm-hmm. sharing was, man, sometimes it's just, it's easier and it's safer to do that. Right. But that doesn't mean it's right. And so, you know, a robust competency and a willingness to examine what scripture says. So I've got to know what it says. I have to examine what it says. I have to be willing to dig in, but I also have to be willing to demonstrate and model and prove that what scripture says is true in my life. And that requires letting people in. And I'm an introvert. You know this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I play extrovert pretty well, I like to think. Mm-hmm. I like to think, most people that meet me think, oh, Cam's a nice guy, he's kind of he's kind of funny, he's a little goofy, but he's a nice guy, he's a good people person. But I am an introvert. I would rather spend my time at home by myself or with my wife than, like, I've got a few friends. I've got my wife. I've got Dave. I've got my best friend, Nick, who lives in Philadelphia. That's pretty much all I need. Mm -hmm. You know, and my parents, who I talk to on a regular basis, you know, like, I've got my friends. And I have other friends who I really do care for, but I don't need to spend a lot of time with other people to be happy um and so for me to open up to even a someone i would consider a good friend whom i trust and i have a relationship with and we have history to get into some of this deeper stuff of like okay this is exactly why i believe what jesus says here here's a real life example of how i saw this in my experience or this is how i screwed up and this is how i experienced grace and not just say i screwed up but to say i did x y and z this is how I felt at, you know, that's very vulnerable. And so yeah. for someone and you know, I don't want to speak for all introverts, but for me, that's a very scary prospect. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to keep a lot of things close and I don't know if that's the healthiest. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, you know, um, I think the other thing too is, is that I think it's, um, I, you know, I, I introvert extrovert i think i'm kind of on and on the line i really do i think i'm comfortable in an extrovert role uh i think ultimately i generally get charged up from being alone so that's kind of where the the introvert uh probably comes through but um so so in those relationships where um and i'm thinking particularly at work uh, and uh, I work a midnight shift, and so 
you know, in those wee hours of the morning when it's cold and there's not a whole lot going on and, you know, you start talking with somebody to kind of kill the time or pass the night away. Um, I've had some good, good, uh, spiritual, you know, kind of sharing with people. Mm -hmm. And, and I really don't even, I don't mind that because I can kind of, um, uh, be guarded with what I say. I can be very deliberate about my experiences and that sort of thing. What I find is interesting or hard is that, um, well, here lately I've kind of been, I just kind of in a funk, just kind of down. And I know that, that, that the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, that sort of thing. So what does it mean when I've shared with this person that I'm a Christian and they see me generally as a happy person, a smiley guy, you know, that sort of thing. That's the reputation that I have. Mm -hmm. And then they see me sort of not showing that joy or not exhibiting that peace. And it's like, regardless, I guess, sort of what they, they're thinking or what their uh, response is to me, I feel like I've let God down by not demonstrating peace all the time or not demonstrating joy all the time. And uh, that is probably the place where the most um, ability to connect with another human being probably happens is in those what you you were talking about being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But yet, I do not want to go there. I don't. I don't. I don't want to. Sh I don't. I, I have this idea of I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to present a certain image to these people. That when I can't present that image, I feel like I'm letting God down, and um, that's probably not the where I should be. I probably shouldn't be uh, doing that. So, it's um, our our story is our story, and I don't think we should ever be something or try to pretend like we're not, uh, because God will use that. God will speak through uh, who we are, where we are. And it is okay to say things like, uh, I am a Christian, I, I have a really strong faith in who he is, and that he's going to lead me. But right now, mm, not feeling it, not so much, you know? Yeah. So. Well, and I think, um, to maybe tie this in with what we talked about earlier, like, there's, there's this um, pressure in our culture to have all of your stuff together. To be to present to the world that, that you've got it going on that right. you know how to live life and that you are living large and are in charge and that's not just secular America that is very much in the church too. If someone asks you how you're doing, you say actually I'm really struggling. They're gonna go, oh like they <laughs> really expected <laughs> response exactly expected responses. Oh I'm doing great. How are you? Oh I'm blessed. Happy to be here. You know um, there's just this. Uh, this inherent um, pressure to have it all together. And I remember one time in college, um, kind of breaking down because I had I had done something stupid um, and I thought I had gotten caught doing it. And I went to my assistant hall director and I was just an absolute sobbing <laughs> mess of, you know, a person. 
And after he calmed me down a bit, we went to the student union and, and he got a coffee. And at that point, I still thought coffee was the devil's drink, so I probably had something else. Um, it's not. It turns out it's, it's God's drink. <laughs> uh, it just took me a while to get on. Anyhow, I still remember this. We're sitting in the booth. I'm crying and there's all sorts of people around, you know, because there's nothing, you know, like to make yourself look better than on a college campus to be like a, you know... A 20-year-old. Yeah, I'm such a screw... You know, and just... And, and, but I was honest. Like, I was... I was not pleased with who I was or what I was doing. And, and I had, you know, a very honest moment of realization of, man, I'm just not a good person. Um, and I remember him looking me in the eyes and telling me to look around the room. And he says, nobody in this building has got it together. No. Nobody does. You don't. I don't. The president of the university doesn't, and neither do any of these people. He goes, it's a facade that everyone puts on. We do not have it together. The only reason that we should even be able to operate is because of God and because of what Christ has done for us. Right. Do not feel that you are less than. Do not feel that you are um, not worth. Like, I mean, he was just one of those like moments of, okay, I'm not the only one that has that has done this, that feels this way, that has this sort of self-loathing. And it, I, I mean, I, I can remember where we were sitting. Uh, it was just one of those moments in my life I don't think I'm ever going to forget. And it was just such a good, I mean, confirmation for me that, yeah, you know, I'm a screw-up, but, but God's in Christ for a reason, and I'm not the only one that has felt this way before. Yeah. Um, it was just, so it was just one of those things that I latched on to and, um, try to remind myself of on a regular basis. <laughs> All right. Shall we move on to the next thing? Sure. All right. So before we get to the main topic, we want to tell you about something that we, uh, think is pretty cool. It's a book by Mark Dever, who is the pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. The book is called The Church, and uh, I think this book is pretty great. I just finished reading it the other day. In fact, I burned through 120 pages of this book in two days while working at the bank. Shh, don't tell. Uh, this book is great for anyone who's interested in knowing more about why the church exists, what the Bible says about the church, uh, and why the traditions we have today came to be. What's communion? The book talks about it. What's church membership? The book talks about it. Church discipline, that, that exists? That's a thing? Yeah, the book talks about it. Uh, he does a great job of explaining uh, a vast majority of the differences that different denominations have, uh, as well as incorporating the history of the church. He goes back to the Reformation, and he talks about the Roman Catholic Church, and uh, Presbyterianism versus Baptism. Baptists versus Methodists and Wesleyans and all the things that can get a bit confusing nowadays because there's just like a new denomination every day. Um, but he does a really good job of, of tracking the history and the traditions of the church uh, and helping guide you through in very basic terms why the Reformation happened, what the differences were, and then how the denominations have split since then. He is a Southern Baptist. Um and his conclusions that he makes about the church all support, support the Southern Baptist viewpoint. But this book is still worth your time and your money, even if you're not a Southern Baptist. That's how good the book is. Uh, you may disagree with a few of his conclusions, but the rest of the book is 
well written enough and in informative enough that it's still worth your time, even if you say are a Presbyterian and are the Reformed persuasion, <laughs> and you do practice infant baptism. He would disagree with you strongly on that stance, but the book is still worth a read. It's short. I think it's only like a hundred and uh, hundred and sixty pages, um, but they're very narrow margins. Or they're wide margins, so narrow paragraph, very quick read. Most chapters are like 8 to 12 pages, so you can burn through a couple chapters. Um, but you're going to find those chapters on church membership, church discipline, the purpose of the church, the polity of the church, ordinances, and all kinds of other good stuff. Uh, his ultimate goal with his book is to help the reader come to an answer for the question, what makes a church a true church? So it's not just an exercise in church history. It's using the history of the church and what the Bible says about the church to come to a conclusion of what a modern Christian church should be and why it should be and why uh, some churches are true churches and other churches are just... Uh, so, we recommend this book to you because I liked it, uh, but we also think because it's going to cause you to think deeply about the why, the what, and the how of the church um, and we think that church is a very important thing to get right. Yes. Uh, it is the visible body of Christ on the planet to all people. Um, and so doing church in a biblically um, authentic way is kind of the most important thing that we can do as followers of Christ. So if this book sounds like something that you might be interested in, you'll find a link to it in the show notes. Uh, for purchase on Amazon, and if you decide to purchase it from that link, we're going to get a little bit of a kickback, so not only will you get yourself a good book, you're going to help support uh, the development of this podcast, and we would be very appreciative of that. So, show notes for this show. Dave, go. <laughs> show notes. Oh, you're going to put me on the spot here. Every week. <laughs> Every week, yes. So, um if you have not already been to uh, the show notes, you can find them at masterclassfm.com slash masterclass slash five, because we are on episode number five. So, um, and, uh, you know, the other thing too is, is if you're like me, I go to masterclassfm.com and then I kind of like to, you know, kind of... Click on the links and find different things and sort of explore it on your own. So that's that's always a possibility, too, that you'd be able to find that um, as you played around on the site. Because there's other good stuff there. There is, besides. but what that tells me, Dave, is that all of the, the, the page clicks we've been getting are all from you. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I think it's been a while since I've been on our oh, website. Wow. So I'm just, I'm saying in general when I go, when I go to a, uh, when I go to a uh, website. So, um but yeah, that's where you can um, find our uh, episode notes. And I Cam does a wonderful job of uh, pulling out just um, little, um, I don't know, elements of the show that I, I, I'm always pleasantly surprised when I see what you've put in our show notes because I'm always like, oh yeah, I remember that. Or oh, I wouldn't have thought about putting that in there. So uh, he's very good about not just uh, what we've said and what we... Uh, there's, there's, they're, they're, they're entertaining. So, uh, please check out the show notes. Pressure's on now. These better be good shows. Yeah, notes. exactly. <laughs> so, and you know, hey, you know, if if, the, if these aren't, you can go back to show four or three or two or one and uh, see some of those there too. 
Cool. All right. Well, I think we've we've uh, gone long enough without going into our main topic. So yes. Shall we dive into that, Dave? Absolutely. All right. Well, since I absolutely butchered the reading of the scripture <laughs> last week, uh, I was so embarrassed. Oh my gosh, I messed up like <laughs> just all over my words. So I'm going to hand that baton back over to Dave because he's not going to mess up. Oh, yeah. No pressure now. So, All right. We're going to take a look at Matthew 5, 17 through 20, because we finished off at Matthew 5, 16 last week. So, Matthew five seventeen, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Entered, and we uh, finish there on verse 20. So Matthew five seventeen to 20. It's kind of a heavy little chunk. <laughs> it is a heavy little chunk there. Some biblical plutonium, if you will. All right. So I guess first question for me to you. Mm-hmm. Why would the audience that Jesus is speaking to think that he has come to abolish the law and the prophets? You know, I, I I don't know that it's so much a thinking that he's going to abolish them uh, as it is sort of a, uh, the Messiah is here, so therefore we don't need him. Uh, you know, uh, um, and, and I guess ultimately I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I really don't know, but my guess would be is if, if, you know, I'd been living in Jesus' day and we'd had the law and we had all these things and we're waiting for the Messiah uh, to come and the expectation is, is we're going to put the Messiah on a throne and we're going to worship him and he's going to be here present with us, then there's going to be an element of, you know, hanging on every word that he says and that... Uh, because he's here and he's he's now, uh, we don't have to worry about all these previous laws, all these other things. I, you know, I don't know. Do you have a thought about why? Maybe that uh, I have a thought. I don't know if it's right or not. <laughs> um, <laughs> as is often the case, um, a lot of what I have been reading and, and have read, you know, from from undergrad and graduate school, um, <clears throat> is that the the messianic expectations that the Jews had at that point were very um, political and revolutionary, hence the Maccabean Revolution mm-hmm. and, and all of the um, expectations that when the Messiah comes, he's going to overthrow the government, the kingdom of heaven is going to start then and there, it's going to be a very political, physical takeover, and the Jews are going to have their land back. And, and that continues to this day with the Gaza right. Strip and, and wanting their, you know, <laughs> kingdom and still waiting for the Messiah to come back, even though they're desperately wrong about that. He's already been here. Um, and so I just, you know, I wonder, <clears throat> is, 
is Jesus already from the get go just saying, "I know what you're thinking." Yes, I yeah, I'm I think that's, not. Yeah. I'm not gonna do it that way. Right. Because at every turn, he's confusing the his disciples. What? What? <laughs> you know, so often they're they are caught. Um, unaware of what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally they'll say something smart like, oh, you are the Christ. Yeah. You know, but then they just say, oh, I want to be on your right hand when we get to heaven. It's just like, come on. <laughs> and so I just wonder, you know, we're, we're still very early in, in this sermon. Um, and I, I just wonder if he is starting to lay the foundation for the, I'm not going to do it the way that you expect me to do it. Like, I'm not here to destroy everything that God has done. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you were unable to fulfill what God had called you to do. I'm not going to destroy that. In fact, I'm going to fulfill that so that the end that you don't even see coming can be possible. Yeah. Um, so that's just my thought on it. Um, because if you think of the law and the prophets and Christ is going to fulfill all of it, it's, there's no way that anyone could have ever imagined that someone could do that. That yeah. one person, you know, is going to fulfill all the prophecy, is going to satisfy God's wrath, is going to take care of all the sacrifices that Israel's been making for centuries. Right. That one person, no, it's much easier to say, oh, he's just going to, we're just going to take a military overthrow of Rome. They're going to go away. We're going to do our thing because we're God's people. We're going to have our kingdom. That's way easier and more likely yeah. to happen than, oh, oh, I'm just going to fulfill the entire law and prophets. Yes. So that, that was just my thought was he's, he's, perhaps he's just laying the, the foundation for the continual subversion of what they expected the Messiah to do, which is why Judaism is still a thing because he did it so well. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, nah, not, not him. Wrong guy. Wasn't, yeah. Wasn't him. So, um, but what I do like, or I thought was r- r- rather clever, it says, verse 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law, until all is accomplished. And so, to me that says, once Jesus comes back and all is accomplished, like, that is when this all is just, that's when the game changes. That's when the political, I mean, the new kingdom, the new heavens, like, that's when what the Jews are expecting is going to actually happen. Um, and so I just I just thought it was clever that he said, you know, none of this is going to change. And he could have just stopped there. Like, I'm going to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. None of it's, Nothing's going to pass away until heaven and earth pass away, which, you know, is never. So, i.e., the law and the prophets is always going to be yeah. around. Um, but until all is accomplished. Until until I've come back, until you know, judgment has been had, and I just he just kind of adds it at the end there. <laughs> so, um, next kind of follow up question: What does saying that Jesus is going when he says I'm going to fulfill the law and the prophets? How are we supposed to? What does that mean? What's he communicating to us um, or to the Jews at that stage in life? What does that communicate to them? I think in uh, it communicates a whole whole lot of a lot of things. Um, one of the things that 
I think it communicates is um, God's sovereignty, God's plan. Uh, he knew what he was doing. Um, that, you know, um, the fall in the Garden of Eden, you, you know, did he know that that was going to happen? Was that part of his plan? What, you know, how does that all work out? And the, it wasn't kind of this idea of, okay, well, we created the law and then we created the prophets and that didn't work. So Jesus came and we're going to take this new direction. It, it truly is a continuation of God's sovereignty of who he is. Uh, so, I, you know, I think that's, uh, that's one of the things. I think it goes back to, um, again, where we started uh, talking about when, you know, are we going to, to um, give a set of defined beliefs that we have? Or are we going to be able to articulate more than that? And again, I think it's that whole, uh, there's more, it's, it's, it's not the letter of the, it's not the, the, um, oh, I'm going to butcher this now. (laughs) (laughs) The letter of law, but the spirit, is that what you're going to say? Yes, exactly. So, you know, what's the intent behind it? It's, is it the letter of the law or is it the spirit of it? And I think, um, I, I believe it's the spirit of the law. And again, I, even in saying that, I, it's, you know, there's still a weightiness behind, uh, God's law and what he expects. Uh, and so we get into the Jesus paying the price for us because he doesn't, he doesn't change that. Um, but there's so much, it's so much bigger than don't do this. You know, it's easy to follow a list of do's and don'ts. It's much bigger to be in that relationship to, um, you know, again, marriage. Marriage isn't all about we made vows to each other and it's about... That's like the starting point. Yeah. And then everything else is, yeah, Yeah. much bigger and messier than that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I, I think because we know the end of the story, um, it's kind of easier for us to like big like, oh well when he says he's going to fulfill the law and the prophets it means that he's going to go die on the cross and i just i can't imagine what his disciples like they what they were thinking when he goes to the cross they all scatter like roaches oh, when the lights turn on yeah because they have no idea well, it doesn't make sense. Hey, oh, and that's and that's. I mean, it's... what I'm. That's what I'm getting at is like when he's when when Jesus says he's going to fulfill the law and the prophets. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, isn't that nice? Like, <laughs> oh, sure. Like they're they're so caught up in them. Like I just don't even think that they have any idea what is about to happen. Yeah. I mean, talk about the the greatest plot twist in the history of <laughs> mankind. Yeah. Okay, so we were watching. Uh, my wife watches Scandal. She loves it. Mm-hmm. I've seen bits and pieces here or there. Last night, she was trying to catch up on shows, and I thought, I'll sit and watch an episode with her. And two minutes in, I predicted exactly what happened to the rest of the episode. And I talked to my coworker today, who also watches Scandal, and she was like, how did you know that's going to happen? I was like, because it's the oldest trick in the book. So she gets held captive. She gets kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't seen this episode, I'm sorry. It's like three weeks old. Spoiler, Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and she gets kidnapped, and she uh, is in a in this like cell that you think is like Saudi Arabia or somewhere in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there's Islamic calls to prayer going on in the background. They're eating Middle Eastern cuisine, prison cuisine, you know, rice and goat or whatever. And she's in the cell with this, this guy. Well, it was obvious to me from the very beginning that this guy is really the head of this little criminal group trying to get information. Uh. It's a long psychological play. They're going to break her down mentally to get the information they want. So he builds this bond with her because she has this, I'm Olivia Pope, I have to save everybody, you know, uh -huh. hero complex. He gets into that. They Bad guys pull him out, shoot him so he's dead. She freaks out, tries to escape. Well, she winds up getting out only to find the guy that was in the prison, well-dressed, shaven, and she, like, breaks mentally. That was the whole point. And my coworker was like, how did you know that was... How? Because that's... It's like, it was clever 30 years ago. Yeah. And now it's just an overplayed plot. <laughs> this is not an overplayed plot, plot no. point. Nobody saw what Jesus did coming. When he said, I'm going to fulfill the law of the prophets, Satan was like, <laughs> yeah, good luck, right? Yeah. Satan thought he had him dead to rights on the cross. Literally dead to rights on the cross. No, no one saw that plot twist coming. Um, so I think when, when, when he says he's going to fulfill the law of the prophets, everyone's just like, oh, that's cute. Like, <laughs> you know, like, you, you just don't know how to comprehend something of that magnitude. And, and please, uh, theologians and scholars, if I'm incorrect, <laughs> email us. Yes. Please. Um, all right. Have we talked about this next question? I feel like we should have covered this in the Beatitudes episode. Really? That we should have? Yeah, that we should have. I don't remember if we did. It I was don't. like eight weeks ago. I don't think we I'm, did. I'm but... too old. Okay, so next question. Uh, what is the kingdom of heaven? That, wow. <laughs> that is it's a, a simple question, Dave. I don't know why you're blogging. It is deep. <laughs> that is a deep, deep question. Um, I believe that, um, particularly when we're talking about this uh, verse and... Um, well, the kingdom of heaven is is represent well. <laughs> yeah, not so easy, right? Just let it out. Just let it out. Well, I think I think the kingdom of heaven is present here with us now, and I think we, we, I, growing up, whatever. Um, <laughs> in general, we tend to think of heaven as a faraway place. We think of heaven uh, being available to us when we die. Um, angels, the clouds, the pearly gates, all the all the uh, cliches that are, you know you want to say about the kingdom of heaven. When the reality is, is, is the kingdom of heaven is present to us here now. So as Jesus was there with his disciples, uh, as the Holy Spirit is here with us now, uh, we are experiencing the the kingdom of heaven and. Uh, it's, it's very, it's very interesting to me how, um, this, just in this life, um, I don't know, I, the, the, the older I get, the closer I get to him, the more appealing death becomes. And I know that's such an odd thing to say, but I'm, I'm ready to, 
I know the kingdom of heaven is here available to me now. I'm not wishing it away. I do believe that there's there's a definite purpose for our life and experiencing the kingdom of heaven in this life. But I feel like the more I experience it in this life, mm-hmm. the more I long to know it in its fullest extent of um, being in physical presence. Uh, well, but I believe the physical presence is here now, too. Yeah. So. Well, no, it's, a, it's an interesting... Um, I don't think it's an odd thing to think. I just think it's an uncommon thing to say out loud. Yeah. I think a lot of people have that thought. I just don't think a lot of people are willing to say it. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> Especially on the internet. Yeah. Well, and, and I'll tell you this. Don't You don't need to be like uh, worried about me being uh, suicidal or anything like that. I'm not talking about that. Definitely. No, your wife would definitely. Be, your wife would bring you back to life just to kill you. For <laughs> I definitely would trust in him and his timing. And, yeah. Uh, well, it's, but, it's an yeah. interesting... I don't want to get on a total tangent, but this idea that, you know, we are, we only, you know, as Paul says, we see um, with, you know, with veiled face, the glory of God or, yeah, I don't know if I just butchered that, I probably did, but like we see like a a reflection or a a vague sense of of the reality of God and that Mm -hmm. is like enough for us to go, holy, I need more. Like you just said, like I I see it here and I'm happy for it here, but I want the... You know, but you also said like, but there is a purpose and a reason why we are here first, and that's just a really interesting concept to think through. Like, why not just get to the good stuff? Like, why do we have to go through all of the crap that we go through? You know, and obviously like original sin, and you, and you get to that, but it's just like you just want to like Adam, like what are you, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> you had such a good thing and you ruined it. Ruined it for everybody. Oh my gosh! Can't yeah. take you anywhere. Um. <laughs> you know, but it's just like to me. I just I never thought about it like that way before. Like we have to go through. You know, the Bible calls it like the refiner's fire, and and, and go through that that process. But man, why? Yeah. Why not just shortcut to the good stuff? <laughs> yeah. Not that what we have is bad, but. No. Well, yeah. and I'll, I'll, I'll even go one further that I don't think a lot of people say. And, um, you know, I'll talk about the, the Egyptian Christians. In Syria? Or... That were beheaded by ISIS. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm just going to go off social media and the, yeah. the atrocity of it and the just all this kind of stuff. And I'll tell you what, I, I can very genuinely tell you, I saw that story and I was like, I'd be honored to be beheaded for Christ. I can't think of a cooler thing to have happen to me. And I know that that is not something that yeah. people are going to say on the internet, or it's a very popular. And uh, people are going to think maybe I'm even a little bit morbid, but I I, I found joy in that. And I know <laughs> that probably sounds one of the most craziest See, I just, well, I, things I to say. I get what you're saying. I just cannot get over my hatred for those people. I, the, I the, get yeah. Oh, I, don't get me wrong. I, I don't get me wrong. I can't get yeah. past the. There is not a circle in innermost hell that is good enough for people that do that. I can't get past that. But see, God's taking notes. He knows. Well, and and <laughs> justice will. But it's just, I, in the moment like of reading the article. It's just like I am filled with such hatred for the people that are doing that. 
I, I just, I just, I don't comprehend how that is an, not even an okay, but a, a good and God-honoring thing to do is to chop someone's head off with a freaking six-inch knife. And you're talking for Allah. I just, I, I just don't understand how you can go, yep, yep this is, that's... this is exactly what we're supposed to do. Sure. I just, I don't understand. What is appealing about, and I understand that, th- that these folks do not speak for a incredible majority of Muslims. Absolutely, yeah. I, like, and, I, I'm not going there, but how does this particular sect say, read the Quran, say, yes, the infidels must be beheaded. It is honoring to Allah to capture these people from their families hold them hostage, and then on the internet, Jihadi Johnny, really? This guy's name has been apparently found out who he is. <laughs> Jihadi John. I just, I, I, I cannot comprehend how that is something that is like, oh, I'm totally going to do that. Allah's going to be so happy with me. Yeah. I just don't get it. And how people could say, yes, this is a good and right and God-honoring and God-ordained thing to do. That being said... <laughs> if you read the Old Testament, yeah. Oh yeah, I, it's I been just, going on I'm, for I'm thousands of years. <laughs> I'm conflicted, Dave. I'm conflicted. <laughs> we're gonna. I mean, we're not gonna behead people, but we're gonna walk around a town for seven days and then blow our trumpets, and everyone's gonna d- die inside. <laughs> I mean, God flooded the earth, so it just uh, this sort of brutality is something that I am not accustomed to and I don't know how to process it without just getting angry yeah. and it's very easy for me to get angry because they are extreme Muslims and I can just say you're wrong you're stupid you're horrible people but at the same time it's like I can read the Old Testament and just like ha, 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 that's not happening now I don't have to deal with it you know yeah but there's some really nasty stuff in the Old Testament yep so anyways tangent I tangent. suppose over <laughs> Um, back to the kingdom of God. Yes. Uh, so Dallas Willard, uh, who is um, notorious <laughs> for having incredible definitions. The dude should have written his own dictionary. I yeah. Think. His uh, definition for the kingdom of God is, the, uh, the kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will, where what God wants done is done. That's the easy part of the definition. He goes on to say, It is an everlasting metaphysical reality, the natural home of the soul, God and his reign from everlasting to everlasting. So we are right in saying that the kingdom of God is present today because we are well within the range of God's effective will. Mm-hmm. Where God wants done is done. Um, I think it gets tricky when you get to the whole everlasting metaphysical reality <laughs> and start talking about the soul and um, I just it's it's very easy to say oh the kingdom of God is this large and illustrious thing which it is it is but we are sitting in a thirteen by ten room over a garage in a house that was probably built in two and a half weeks <laughs> in <Yeah. laughs> in a small suburb of Kansas City. Literally, 
two houses from Denver, and yes, I realize that Denver is nine hours away. There's just nothing between here and there. We are, we are on the edge of the West, <laughs> as as you know, the Oregon Trail. You know, uh, someone probably died of diphtheria here a hundred years ago. It's That's true. true. We are that close to the edge of civilization, but we are in a relatively unimportant part of the world as far as the world's concerned. Yeah. We are hundreds if not thousands of miles away. Chicago would be the closest important city. Then New York. Then probably Los Angeles as far as like major metropolitan worldly cities are concerned. We live in a small podunk postage stamp of a town right? in the world scheme. Yet... In this small beige room above my garage, <laughs> the kingdom of God is still present. Even here, where we can hear coyotes and cows mooing if we listen close enough at night. The coyotes don't moo. Sorry, the coyotes <laughs> do whatever coyotes do in the cows. Dave, you're not the funny one. Stop. <laughs> Just kidding. Dave's actually a very funny man. but I don't know about that. <laughs> but anyways, my point is, even... Even in a place like Gardner, where there are... It, it, but is it a surprise that a, a town full of people bearing the image of God, even if they don't know it, right. the kingdom of God is still present? Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? Yep. A town on the wrongs. Like, it, it's no surprise that in unimportant places, according to the world, that God, the kingdom of God is still here. It is still active. It is still a tangible reality which I just think is incredibly encouraging. It doesn't matter where you are. Yeah, I've been to a tiny village in the middle of nowhere in Ethiopia that you can't find on a map. Right. Because the people that make maps don't care about this village because it's that small. And the kingdom of God is present even there. There's no electricity. There is no running water. There is no health care. There's nothing. And the kingdom of God is even there. And sometimes it's... Those are the places where it's the easiest to find it, yeah. to find evidence of it. So, yeah, the kingdom of... Man, there's... Someone should write a book on that. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Uh, oh, boy. iPad freak out. Anyways, we're back. I think I'm going to skip down to one of our um, last questions, and I think it might be time to wrap this old boy up. What do you yep, think? we're getting there. All right. What freedom do we now have because Christ has fulfilled the law and the prophets? I, th I, I think we have the greatest freedom that you can imagine. It's kind of the whole going back to Paul of um, I can, you know, I can pretty much do whatever I want, but it's not beneficial. And so uh, is, is, that, is that ultimately what we're supposed to do? No. But we have that freedom in that um, I, and it, it sounds kind of um, uh, oh, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but um, 
I'm drawing a blank here completely on what my, my train of thought, so <laughs> I apologize. Um, the, the, the freedom is is that, that Jesus died for our sins and that ultimately uh, through his grace and accepting him as our Lord and Savior, uh, there's no sin so great that we can commit that it's going to separate us from God. Now, I don't think the idea of, of Christianity or our faith is to go out there and see how big of a sin we can commit to get away with it. Um, but ultimately, the freedom is is that, um, and, I, and I don't even want to say I don't have to concern myself with it, because that's not true either. But it's, I don't have to dwell on it. I don't have mm-hmm. to become so focused on, uh, have, I, have I kept this law? Have I obeyed this law? Have I made this sacrifice that, that ultimately... Um, we have an, just an infinite freedom that we can't even comprehend uh, because he came to fulfill the law, which, again, counterintuitive is the word I was looking for. <laughs> it's counterintuitive. Counterintuitive, Dave. That was, that was the word that you were looking for. I'm glad I could help you out there. Thank you. <laughs> so, I don't even know if I'm making sense at this point, but... Oh, you're good. Um. I th- well, I guess to follow up on that, um, what what tangible effect? What um, how does that integrate with everyday American life? You know, we have, we have so much going on. We have so many important things to do and documents to sign, and mm-hmm. you know. Uh, bills to pay and, and all of that, what what tangible effect should the freedom we have in Christ have on us? I think the freedom that, that we have is that we should we don't have to be worried about uh, again that list of do's and don'ts that uh, we can go out and we can live our lives um, with that freedom of knowing that, that we're forgiven. And I, I, I would say for me, in that freedom of seeking him and knowing him, uh, those I, I'm not consumed with what do I have to avoid? What do I have to not do? Now, it doesn't mean I don't have those things in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I definitely have those things that, um, oh, when I, when I give in to my sinful nature, they make me feel like I've been separated from God. But ultimately, it's that sense of just, I can't do it. There's, there's nothing that can separate me uh, from the love of God. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the freedom of, of just um, being able to, um, I, you know, I, I, in my job, I've got to touch dead bodies. It's a natural part of what, or not a natural, well, I guess it is natural. It's, it's <laughs> death and dying are natural. Uh, being a police officer, you have to touch dead bodies to put them in the body bag. Um, I don't concern myself with the Old Testament law of touching a dead body and having to remove myself from everybody else and being cleansed. And I, I, and I know that's probably such a random mm-hmm. <laughs> one, one to pick out, but I'm not, I'm not going through my daily life consumed by am I breaking the law or not Mm -hmm. and it gives me the freedom to 
um, ultimately kind of what we're talking about with this kind of whole living out our lives with Jesus of that I just I wholeheartedly believe that everything that we do should be done for him and for his glory and that uh, if if we are in a relationship with him and in communion with him and yoked with him that even the most mundane task um, can bring glory to him and I don't I don't know if people always know that that's where you know why we do the things that we do or, or but there's this uh, God's perspective of the world is much different than my perspective of this tiny little <laughs> just, just a little bit right so well I think your thoughts <laughs> yeah my thoughts I'm gonna take kind of the opposite approach um, I think one of the tangible effects that the freedom in Christ should have in our life is that um, I think so often we take grace to mean that we don't have to do anything. Mm. We can get very cheap grace. Yeah, very <laughs> lazy and very complacent. Um, and not just about our faith, just about life in general. Like, oh, well, if God wants this to happen, then I'm just going to sit on my butt until he makes it happen. Right. And it's just terrible theology. Yeah. I mean, that's not how it works. Uh, does God have the ability to do that? Yes. And has he in, in the past gone out of his way to do things? Yes. He sent Jesus. <laughs> he went out of his way and made something happen. But at the same point, you know, we are, from the very beginning, before sin was ever a thing, we had work. We were given jobs to do, right? Adam had to name the animals and maintain the garden that, that work is not an outcome of sin work, no. work was something that god instilled in us as part of bearing his image right mm -hmm. and so there's there's a lot of people that you know oh well if god wants me to be rich or be successful in my job or even to be able to pay my bills then he's just going to provide for it and i'm mm -hmm. just going to sit on my butt i'm not going to do anything that's ridiculous you know and so when you know the, the tangible effect that that the freedom of Christ has in our life should be, we should be free to work hard at what we do because we are meant to work, but we should not be, have the burden of being defined by what we do for work or how much we make. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Like we should, we should work hard to glorify God, you know, in all things that you do glorify right. God work, you know, with your hands, glorify God. Um, but so many people that don't have the freedom of Christ are live their lives defined by how much money they make, how prestigious their job is, and they pour their lives into their careers. And working is not a bad thing, and being successful is not a bad thing, and getting paid well for what you do is not a bad thing. But the freedom that Christ gives us is to say, I can work really hard and glorify God in my work, but that is not going to define who I am or how good my life is my life is good and i'm def i'm defined as a person by what christ has done for me and then i can work hard and glorify him and be able to come home at the end of the day and say i am loved by christ mm -hmm. you know and i work at work and at home to glorify him and so i just think there's too many too many of us and i'm guilty of this you know um and have been in the past of just saying i'm just gonna skate I've got grace, I'm good, I'm just going to skate, I'm not going to work at it, you know, and, and to go back to your marriage um, metaphor, how does that work in a marriage? I'm just going to skate? Right. Never going to happen. Yeah, how is that going to work out? 
you're either going to wind up hating each other for the rest of your lives, and you're not going to get divorced because you don't want to give the, <laughs> the other person the uh, the privilege of not having you destroy their lives, right? You just, or you're going to wind up ruining your marriage. Like that's just not. It is not a. Um, what sort of I'm looking for? Oh, I'm drawing a total blank now. <laughs> it's not a conducive way to have a relationship. Right. It's not a relationship no. at that no, point. No, no, no. You're you're cohabitating in a very uncomfortable. We're here because we have to be. I don't really want to be type of situation, you know. And if if we truly understand, the freedom that we have in Christ, we're not going to sit back. We're not going to be lazy. We're going to embrace what God has given us and we're going to go for it, you know? And, right. and that's just, I don't know, maybe that has a lot to do with my work situation right now where all of that just came from. But... Oh, yeah, and I'm I'm there with you. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> I, I, I am. And, you know, and this is something that maybe flesh out in future episodes and I don't even know that I want to go out there, but I've just been really sort of um, kind of got this confronted with this idea of what we believe there's a gap between what we believe and what we do mm-hmm. and i know that's kind of a, a just a vague sort of concept that i'm throwing out there that like i said i'm I'll, maybe we'll flesh out more in the future but there's what we believe and what we actually do there's just they're not the same there's a gap and I, like i said i'll, we'll I'll probably there. yeah we'll, we we'll, haven't got to the pharisees yet <laughs> we'll get there <laughs> You know, but I but I think it's whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, that's mm-hmm. true. I think everybody has some sort of ethics or some sense of morality. You have to. Yeah. But it when when you really break it down, none of us really do what we say we believe. And so I'm um yeah, uh, selfishness has a way of yeah. distorting <laughs> the that. human condition there. Humans. Gosh. Well, I think that might be a <laughs> we're, yeah, we're, good place to stop. Sounds good. All right. So, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I think this is an extended episode. It is. Uh, but we're, we are glad that you've made it this far. We are uh, <laughs> slightly surprised that you've made it this far. Um, maybe we can have an award for people that listen all the way through. Maybe just a, a digital high five. <laughs> there you go. Um but we'd love to hear your thoughts, um, especially on what we've talked about this episode. The best way to do that is on Twitter. We are at Masterclass FM, or if you want to share something that's going to take a little bit more than Twitter allows for, give us an email at MasterclassFM at gmail.com. If you want to shout at Dave on Twitter, it's at 10HBO. T-E-N, number eight, letters HBO. Uh, I am at Cam Brennan. There's, there's no clever way to spell that. That's just the way it sounds. Um, and you can find the show notes for this episode and links to everything that we talked about at masterclassfm.com slash masterclass slash five. And also, two ways that you can help us out. And we would be very grateful if you would. Uh, if you want to help other people find the episodes that we provide here at the Masterclass, leave us a rating on iTunes. Go in to iTunes, find us in the podcast, and then click on one, two, three, four, or five stars. You're totally up to you. And 
the more people that leave ratings, the the higher chance we have of showing up in the search results and, and letting other people who are looking for a podcast like this to find us. Um, the second way that you can um, support us and support this podcast and the development of it is to go to masterclassfm.com slash donate and um, donate whatever it is that you feel is um, good. A dollar, two dollars, a hundred thousand, anywhere in the, you know, in there would be great. Um, uh, But most importantly, we're just thankful that you listen and we would love to uh, have conversations with you guys. Um, Hopefully we will be back very, very soon. Um, Most likely two weeks, but maybe sooner. We'll see. I don't know. Anyways, (laughs) we'll catch you next time. Say bye, Dave. See you later. Bye.